Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Still double fisting. Hi, everybody. My name is Annie. I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is March 1st, 2006. Um, I have a sponsor. I sponsor others. I have a home group. It's the Tampa Bay Young People's Group, and um, they meet, well, about 45 minutes ago um, over in Tampa. Um, we're actually moving. This is our last night in our church. So uh, we're moving to uh, 500 West Platte Street. It's just right around the corner. So um, if you want information on how to get to that meeting, you can see me afterwards. And um, I just got nervous. Um, And it always happens. I remember asking uh, Dick Drysdale. He's got like 39 years, I think. I said, does that ever go away? And he said, no. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I know that that's normal then. So um, I guess first I want to say that... uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and uh, it saved my life. Um, I'm 27 years old. I came here when I was 24, and um, I really didn't know that I had a problem with alcohol. Um, I knew that I drank a lot, but I thought that the way that my life was was just kind of um, like bad luck, or I was just going to have rough times, and... um, I really had no idea that the way I was living was as a result of the way I used alcohol and other things. But, um, you know, I'm not really going to talk much about that because uh, alcohol is is what brought me here. So, um, you know, I guess I'll just, I'm going to try to just briefly tell you about the drinking and stuff like that. I think that um, if you're here, you probably know what got me here. And um, just tell you a little bit about, like, what was going on and and how I got here, but, you know, welcome to all the newcomers. Um, You know, they always say, stay until the miracle happens, and um, I didn't really know what that miracle was. They've been been coming since I got here, you know, and at first it was uh, that I drank, you know, and that I didn't drink for one day, and then it was for 30 days, and then it was like 60 days and 90 days, and that was a miracle, and it was that I could, like, wake up in the morning, and I didn't feel like shh bad and um, and I could like call my mom and I could talk to her and I could tell her about the stuff I did the night before and not have to worry about lying or hiding and um, and it felt really good you know and it was a it was a miracle that I woke up in my apartment every day by myself knowing what I'd done the night before those were like the miracles that that happened when I first got here and the longer you stay, the bigger the miracles get. You know, um, just today, I, I took my car in on Monday to get um, to get a diagnosis done on it because I kind of come to this crossroads with my car. Do I want a new car? Really can't afford a new car, but I can't afford the maintenance and blah blah blah. So um, 
I get a call yesterday and the guy calls me and tells me that it needs about $3,000 worth of work. And um, I said, okay, so, uh, you know, I just, I called my parents and I said, I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to charge it. You know, I said, I, I think it needs to be done. And, you know, I just, I need to take care of it. And my mom said, um, your dad and I are going to pay for it. And now, because you don't know my parents, you're not as shocked as I was. But um, that's just not, that's just not something that happens. You know, that's just not something that happens for me. Um, it was huge, huge. And it, it was, um, she told me it was going to be my wedding gift. And I'm not married yet, so even better. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, back to beginning. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, my parents are still married, gave me everything I ever needed. Um, you know, we weren't, you know, beyond our means or anything like that, but I never really, I didn't want for anything, you know, and um, they gave me no reason to drink the way I did or to do the stuff that I did, and um, for a long time they didn't know that I drank the way I did. I think I took my first drink around 13 or 14. I know a lot of people say that alcoholics remember their first drink like it was yesterday. I don't. Um, I know that I was babysitting and uh, there were two different babysitting occasions. One time it was the, the person I was babysitting for gave me the alcohol and said, here, you can have these Zimas. And I said, okay. So um, the result of that was uh, me and my girlfriend that were babysitting, we ended up jumping off the balcony in his house onto the couch and breaking the couch. And that was, that was the consequences of that where, you know, I think you broke my couch. And I said, I think it was your children. And uh, the, the other time was that I was babysitting and I came across the liquor that these people had under their kitchen sink. And I was by myself. The kids were sleeping, and I decided to drink. And then I called my girlfriend, and I was like, come get this liquor. So I packed up all the liquor, put it behind the house. She came and picked it up. And I don't remember. They just never asked me to babysit again. And neither did anyone else. So I'm um, not sure if that was because I didn't want to babysit anymore because I was drinking now or what. But I really didn't start drinking, drinking until I was like 16, I guess. And I remember vividly waking up on my 17th birthday, having drank a fifth of tequila the night before and thinking I was going to die. And it did not cross my mind that I would never drink again or that I shouldn't drink. It ju I just thought, oh, God, I shouldn't drink tequila, like, in that quantity. And I did. I still did. And I really don't know why I did that. You know, people talk about not fitting in and stuff like that. I do remember just wanting <clears throat> always to just blend in with people. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to be unnoticed. But I didn't, I, I just wanted to look like everybody else. And uh, I really think that that has been, it's worked in my favor at times. And at the same time, that was a huge reason for my drinking, is that I just did what you did. I did what made you happy. I did what made me fit in with you guys. And um, I guess there were people that didn't drink. I know, I get, you know, I guess. But um, I liked the way I felt when I drank. And um, and I, I don't remember when I started blacking out, but um, it wasn't too long after I started drinking. So I graduated from high school. I graduated with a 4.0. I went to college. I got to college, um, stayed in a dorm, and I could only stay there about three months because you had to have these, like, cards to get in the dorms, and, like, a lot of times I was too drunk to get in the dorms, or I wanted people to come in with me, and they couldn't, or whatever. So I manipulated my way out of that situation, and, um, and, uh, 
I moved into a house. And I mean, from the time I walked through the doors of the university, I found people that drank, and it was sororities and fraternities, and, and not everybody in the sorority and the fraternity drank like I did, but there were definitely people that did. So um, I thought I was like really cool because I could drink all night long, and I could stay up all night long and um, party with the best of them, and I thought that was something that was like cool. So um, I really didn't start getting any consequences until, I mean, what happened was drinking became more important than everything else. I gradually stopped going to class. If I was on my way to class and somebody was going somewhere else to do something else, I was with them. Um, it just became, you know, my the things that were important became less important. Um, alcohol definitely took precedence over everything else in my life. Um, about three years after I started school, I was down to like part-time, I was barely going, so I quit. And I was working in a restaurant. So I found a lot of people that did a lot of the same stuff I did. And um, I really, this things were still fun at this point. I was having a good time. I'd go to work, we'd get off work, we'd go to the bar, we'd drink all night, and then we'd sleep all day, and then go to work, and the same thing over and over again. I eventually got a DUI. Um, I got pulled over for a speeding ticket, and then I got a DUI because of that. And so at the time, it was not because of my drinking. It was because I had a warrant for my arrest for a speeding ticket I didn't pay. So um, that was the first time I got locked up. And I was 20 years old, and I didn't call my parents because I, my parents were actually moving from St. Louis to the Keys, like, while I was being locked up. I mean, at the very moment. So I didn't even know how to get a hold of them. And I don't think I would have called them anyway because they did not know what I was up to. They didn't know. The one thing that they ever found out is that there was one time while I was in college that I drank so much at a baseball game that I got dehydrated. I don't. I must have had alcohol poisoning, but I wouldn't know that by the time I got to the hospital. It was all gone. But um, And I told them I'd never do that again. And that was it. But that was the only thing they knew. So I uh, didn't tell them. But a couple of weeks after I got that DUI, I decided to go visit them in the Keys. And when I got there, I was like, oh, my God. You know, like, I can do what I'm doing up there, down here, and it's so much prettier than St. Louis. So I uh, went home, and as quickly as I could, packed up all my stuff, got rid of my apartment. Five weeks later, I'm living in the Keys. Um, if anybody's ever been to the Keys, it's two roads, and there's bar, 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 bar. Um, they call it a quaint little drinking village with a big fishing problem. So um, that's where I lived. I lived in Isla Mirada. <clears throat> I stayed, um, I got a job at this resort, I stayed in their staff housing, so I, I was living with a lot of like really transient people and people that were just there to either run or they were only there for a short while. So our regular day looked like I went to work at 5 o'clock, got off at 11 o'clock, the bars are open until 4, so we stayed till 4 or 5 or 6 depending on who you knew, and um, or maybe earlier or later, however you want to look at that. And then um, slept all day, went to work, and um, that started to catch up with me. I I would shake so bad, I couldn't pour wine. Like, I, I worked in this fine dining restaurant, and I really, at first, I didn't know I was shaking. I would I would get to work, and I would just be like, I just couldn't, and I didn't understand it. But I did know that when I went to the bar after work, and I got a couple shots in me, that I stopped shaking. So I found the solution. So I had to keep that 
alcohol in me so that I could that I didn't shake. But I couldn't always do that. So I eventually lost my job and I lost my housing. So rather than like call my parents that are 10 minutes down the road and ask them if I can stay with them for a while, I decide to um, pack it up and go live in a house somewhere for a couple weeks and then I didn't want those people to know what I was up to all the time, so it eventually became that I would go to the bar at night to find a place to sleep. Um, sometimes I knew who it was with, sometimes I didn't know who it was with. Sometimes I woke up in a place I knew, sometimes I didn't. Um, a lot of things happened during that period of time that that happened to people that don't have a place to live. And, um, and I really just didn't care. I just didn't care. I just needed to be able to get back to the bar to drink. And, um, you know, I was able to get jobs and, and keep them for, you know, some amounts of time. But what happened was eventually my kidneys started to hurt, and I knew that it was because of the way I was treating my body. I knew it was because I was drinking too much vodka. So um, I knew that if I went to the hospital with this problem that people would know that I was drinking the way I was drinking, and... And then I w the gig would be up. So rather than tell anybody, I uh, went to the first couch I slept on, stayed there for three days, detoxed, sweat, shook, cried, didn't sleep. Um, the most awful couple of days of my life. I don't even remember how long that lasted. But at some point, um, and I was, I, I now know restless irritable and discontent. That is exactly what I was laying on that couch. Somebody would walk in the house and I'd want to rip their head off. Somebody would walk in that house drunk and I'd want to kill them. So eventually I said, screw you all, I'm going to a hotel. So I stayed in a hotel for a couple of days and I started to feel better. So I thought, okay, vodka is evil. Don't drink vodka. <laughs> and I really relate to more about alcoholism. And I, I, I truly believe that that is what sold me on the fact that I'm an alcoholic. I did all of that. I, I said, no more vodka, I'll just drink beer. Okay, well, beer wasn't doing it for me, so I'll just drink beer and shots. And then sometimes I'd just drink wine, and then sometimes that didn't work, so I eventually was like, screw it, give me vodka. And, um, you know, I just back and forth and back and forth. And I eventually, by controlling my drinking a little bit, I got some stuff. I got a place to live. I got a pretty decent job at a restaurant um, managing this restaurant. And um, I, got, I got my stuff together, so I thought. And then I got into this really crappy roommate situation, and I ended up, my parents were begging me to come home. By the time I got back to my parents' house, I couldn't speak in full sentences. I could not put a sentence together because so much had happened, and I couldn't tell them everything but I needed them to know that some things had happened and that there were some things going on and the reason that I couldn't, I couldn't put it together. And um, my mom got out the blue pages because she didn't know what the hell to do with me and, uh, you know, I was trying to call counselors and all this stuff and I was just like, don't. I don't, I don't want it. I don't need it. Just, just don't. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. So I, it's very easy to do like a geographical cure down there because you just move islands and it's like 10 minutes. So I just moved to the next island and go and work with all new people and, and um, eventually I'm doing the same stuff over again. I found the same people who's doing the same thing, you know. Um, eventually found a boyfriend, which was, you know, always a good escape for me, um, somebody to babysit me and take care of me. And, um, and uh, at some point our drinking and using more so mine 
um, we decided that the Keys was just a really bad place to be. So um, back up a little bit. I uh, I got another DUI while I was down in the Keys. So um, that's just what happens. It was shortly after I was controlling my drinking and shortly after I wasn't really drinking. And um, I think the first night I went back out to go to one of those bars that I used to hang out with, I uh, fell asleep passed out, blacked out. I'm not sure what happened while I was driving on US-1 with water on both sides of me, and um, I hit a car that was in front of me and came to and ended up getting locked up again that night for a second time. Um, I swore I wasn't drunk. I swore it only had one drink, but I refused to blow um, because I didn't want them to have evidence. So um, anyway, went through all that stuff, spent a lot of money trying to get myself out of that situation, and um, again, like I said, we ended up, me and this, this guy, decided that we were going to move to Tampa is kind of how we picked Tampa. So um, <laughs> we moved up to Tampa, found a place to live, and when we got here, I decided it wasn't our drinking, it was him. I didn't like him. That's why I was crazy. And so um, <clears throat> I eventually, I got a job. I left. I moved and got my own place. So I've got my own place. I'm paying for all my own stuff. I'm not asking anybody for help. I'm working in a restaurant. And um, I'm doing the same stuff I've always done, but I'm doing it by myself. And I got nobody to watch after me. And, um, you know, countless nights I'm walking out trying to find my car and, like, I'm like, where did I park last night? Did I drive home last night? How did I get here? You know, and um, all over again. All over again. I can't tell you how many times I lost my truck in the Keys, and I was, would just have to drive up and down US-1 because there was no side street, so I could find it really easy. But in Tampa, it's a little different when you lose your car. Um, so I'm working for this restaurant, and um, the uh, there's like this series of events that goes down over like a six-month period of time where um, like I hurt my knee at work, and so I had this brace, and I was limping, and um, my bird died because I left him outside, and it was too cold because I was drunk. And um, I was supposed to go see my parents at Christmas time, and the night before, I um, decided to stay up all night drinking wine. So when I woke up in the morning, I had missed the trip down there. And... Um, you know, like I said, all this stuff was not because of my drinking. It was just, like, really bad luck. And on my last really bad drunk, um, my cat pushed the screen out of my bedroom window and took off. And not until after I got sober did I realize, I'm like, he was pissed. I was drunk all the time, you know. I did not take care of my child, and he left me. So um, he was gone. And so uh, my boss at the restaurant, who was... Um, a friend of mine, too, who I had partied with, sat me down and said, Annie, we know you're drinking at work. We know you have, I think you have a problem. And he said, you can either get some help and quit drinking, like not just here, but quit drinking, or you can just take your journey somewhere else. And I said, I'll think about it. So um, because I'd had this thing for so long where I hadn't asked anybody for help and I didn't need any help and I didn't need your money because I was scared to death if I asked you for help, you were going to be able to tell me what to do. So um, I had rent due the next week, and I was like, I can't get a new job and pay rent by next Wednesday. So I guess I'll go to AA because he said something about AA to me. And I didn't really know anything about treatment or AA or anything. I just, I for whatever reason, knew nothing about it. 
so I called the 800 number that's in the blue pages in the phone book, and um, somebody answered the phone, and I told him where I lived, and there was a meeting right across the street from my house, like Club 3333. It's literally like a stone's throw away from my house. I had no idea what that place was. So, you know, and I'm thinking there's only going to be like one meeting in Tampa, and it's going to be like a week from today, you know, and that wasn't the case. So anyway, um, <clears throat> I go to this uh, I go to a Tuesday noon meeting at 3333, and um, if you've ever been to that meeting, you would know that it is wall-to-wall old-timers, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in this, this really foreign place. I have no idea what's going on. I just know I have to be there to keep my job, and um, everybody goes around the room, and they introduce themselves with their sobriety date. And this guy says something about 1976, and I'm like, what is he doing here? I'm like, it's 30 years later. I don't think you're going to drink, you know? It just blew my mind that people were (laughs) 30 years down the road still sitting in these meetings. And I was like, well, something's really wrong with him. Um, Now I know that nothing's really wrong with him at all. He's just an alcoholic. So, um... I picked up a white chip that day because everybody in the room stared at me when it was time to pick up the chips. So I picked up a white chip, and um, I called my boss, and I was like, I picked up a white chip, and he has no idea what the hell that is. And he's like, so do you need a sponsor? Like, he's trying to sponsor me. You know, and now I look and I read to the employers, and I swear he has read that. But I know that because he asked me if I needed a sponsor, he hasn't read that. But he, I mean, like, by the book, went, you know, that's what happened is that, like, he knew I had a problem. He came to me in the most gentle manner and said, you know, like, you can either get some help or you got to go. And no one up until this point, not my mother, not my boyfriend, not my brother, not my father, nobody could have told me I had a drinking problem and I would have done something about it. Nobody. Nobody. And I know today that this man was put in my life by God. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know anything about God at the time. I had no concept, never went to church, never read the Bible. I had no concept of God. It wasn't that I didn't believe that there was something maybe out there, but I just didn't know what it was or how it was specific to me or worked in my life. Nothing. I knew nothing. And, um, you know, speaking of the miracles, I, for me, that's been my miracle. That has been my miracle is finding a God of my understanding. And, and turning my will and my life over to this thing I can't see, feel, or touch every day in my life, and things work out. I don't know how that works. I just know that it does. And I'm telling you this based on my experience, not because the big book says it, not because your sponsor says it, because it's been my experience that this is what happens when we come to AA. We do the right things. We try. We just try to believe, and it works. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> I... Uh, there was two young girls in that first meeting I went to. They told me about the Tampa Young People's Group. Um, for whatever reason, I said, okay, I'll, I'll meet you. And I met one of the girls, and I went to the Young People's Group. And it was overwhelming. There's like 150 people my age and younger that are sober, and I did not believe they were sober. I was like, there is no way that all these people are sober. And um, they are. Um, so I... I the, the beginning is still, it's blurry for me. Like, I, it wasn't me. I know that it wasn't me that kept going to these meetings. Um, the only thing that I, I know, I remember that this girl kept asking me if, if I had a sponsor, if I had a sponsor, and I kept telling her no, and finally I said, what, do you want to sponsor me? And she said, okay. So, um, so she kind of asked me what my plans were, 
because they were telling me to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, and I was like, you don't understand. I have stuff to do, and uh, <laughs> if I can make it, I'll make it, and if I can't, I can't. You know, my boss tells me I only have to go to one a week, so um, I just, I really fought that 90 and 90 thing, and then um, none of my, you know, I thought I was going to be hanging out with my friends and stuff. And then I didn't have any more friends because they didn't like me no more because I didn't drink with them. So I would get these phone calls every now and then from the people that were my friends. And they'd be like, hey, still sober? And I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, all right, catch you later. And um, that was it. (laughs) So it became like I was still working in this restaurant, and it was hard. It was so hard. It was all I knew. I knew to go to work and to work while I was there and then get off work and drink, you know. And by the time I had gotten to Tampa, my world had become so small that I I really only drank at the restaurant I worked for and maybe this little bar down the street. And um, I didn't know anybody but the people I worked with and a couple of people at this little bar down the street. My world was like this. And um, so I, I started going to meetings after I got off work at the restaurant. I would get off at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and um, there's a club over in Tampa that has 11 o'clock meetings, and those 12 o'clock meetings, I know what that's about, you know. I did not, I lived by myself when I didn't want to go home. I could not stand to sit in my skin, and I could not sleep. So I would go to these meetings and then just hang out with the people afterwards. Like, sometimes they would go to the village inn, and sometimes they would bring guitars and play guitars outside, and, you know, I just, I just stuck to these people because I had nowhere else to go and I knew I I just didn't want to go home and I couldn't drink. I knew I couldn't drink. By this time I'd read the big book um, and I knew I was an alcoholic and I knew that by having read that book it you know like my story you know like I, I didn't have this awful awful bottom but I'd been some really ugly places and I knew that like I told you before, I was waking up in the morning and I didn't feel like crap. And I, I was, I knew what I did the night before. And that stuff, I hung on to with my life. You know, like that, I knew that if I stayed here, it would get better. I don't know how I knew that. And maybe it was the people telling me keep coming back. That could have been it. But um, a big thing that happened was I believe it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight days after I got sober. I came home from a meeting, and my cat had been gone eleven days. And I was on the phone with someone, and I heard, meow, and I was like, and my cat was in this, like, electrical closet on the side of a building that I had checked hundreds of times, it seems like. And I was like, this is what happens when you stay sober. (laughs) The cat comes home. Like, like they're right. You get your stuff back. And I I know it's funny, but I swear to you, that was the first time that I, like, stood with my cat in my parking lot, and I was like, all right. This is weird, but okay, you know, like, so um, that's kind of where my, my God started to, I started to acknowledge God, but um, anyway, so I, I got a sponsor, um, I started to work the steps, and I tell you what, I did not understand the big book. I graduated with a 4.0, but I did not understand the big book. I understood parts of it where it was talking about, like, my drinking and stuff, but I didn't know about the God thing. I didn't know about God's will or self-will. I just, I didn't understand it, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't understand it. But I went ahead and I did the work anyway. Um, Because of those little things that were so good at the time, I did the work anyway, and I didn't understand the third-step prayer. And my sponsor would tell me to do the third-step prayer, 
and I would do it at night. I wasn't praying in the morning at night. I was praying at night. And then for a while it was on my back. And then eventually somebody told me that it was very different if you got down on your knees. So I thought, well, I'll try it. But I didn't know who I was praying to or what I was praying to or what I was saying. And so when I heard the third step prayer, I was like, ooh, I have something to say. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what it meant. And eventually, from going to meetings and listening to speakers and listening to open discussion meetings, somebody finally explained to me what it meant. And it made sense. Um, I can't tell you when, like, the big spark came where I believed in God, but I, I started, I did a fourth and fifth step, and it was like an eight-hour day of talking about all this crap. I thought I was, I thought I was going into this fifth step to figure out how to not be pissed off at these people anymore, and um, found out that it was probably my fault that I was pissed at them anyway. <clears throat> so um, I, I remember feeling like after I did my fifth step, like I was totally aware, like I started to see who I was. And I wasn't the sweet little girl I thought, you know, like I thought I was like in the big book. It talks about mm, overall pretty nice person, except for when it came to drinking. And um, that was sort of true. But um, I, I used people. I took from people. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I affected people with my drinking. I thought as long as I don't ask your opinion, then it doesn't matter. You know, as long as I don't ask you for your money then it doesn't matter. Stay out of my face. Stay out of my life. If you don't like my drinking, don't look at me, you know? And um, I, I just never saw that stuff until after I did a fourth and fifth step. So, uh, you know, I did the rest of my steps, and, and at some point in there, like I said, I started to become more aware of, like, who I was and the way I acted and my motives for things. And, and um, it was ugly at first, but, like, the cool part about that was is that when I notice it, I get to start trying to change it and I didn't know that I couldn't change myself but it made sense to me that every decision I had made up until the time I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous got me in some really ugly situations so I I could ask my sponsor you know about things and so I, I could I could trust my sponsor and um, and I really believe that that the job of a sponsor is to take us through the steps and to lead us to God I really I think that's what it's about and um, and eventually, like I said, I I started to talk to God. You know, I started to like be more vigilant about praying in the morning and praying at night. And and um, things started to happen. You know, I never thought I would get out of the restaurant business. I just didn't know what else I was going to do or where I was going to go. And. I was sitting in Village Inn one night after a meeting, and I was looking through a paper for a job, and somebody was like, Do you, are you looking for a job? And I said, yeah. And they said, here, come into this company. It's my company. Um, we're looking for people. And it was a mortgage company. And I was like, I don't know anything about mortgages. They're like, that's okay. We'll teach you. So um, <clears throat> I got into mortgages when it was good. <laughs> I think that maybe the reason that it's bad now is because I thought it was good then. Um, but... I uh, I learned this new thing and I made some money and um, and I eventually ended up being to work. I was able to work for myself and that was an experience. Try to be accountable to yourself. It's a little bit different than you know like meeting your sponsor for step work because um, you're the only one that shows up and you're the only one that knows if you don't show up. So um, that was that was an experience um, that I've, I've gotten to do again. But I uh, miracles, you know, I just. Never thought I would leave the restaurant business, ever. So um, 
along the way, I, you know, I started sponsoring girls um, pretty early on, pretty much right after I finished my steps, I started sponsoring girls. And that was interesting in the beginning. Um, I was very easily manipulated by these people. You know, they'd be like, can we read down to like this line? And then when it has a comma, then I'll start reading. And then when it has a comma again, you'll start reading. And I was like, sure. You know, that's probably not the way you should read the big book um, with your sponsor. (laughs) But, you know, just weird stuff like that. And, um, you know, and I really was like scared that if I didn't do it right, that they were going to drink and I I was going to kill them. And, um, you know, I found out that I'm really not responsible for anyone's life here except for my own. And um, and the, the best thing that has come from working the steps is that I'll be reading the book with someone new and I'll come across something that, you know, like has been there the whole time and I've read it over and over again, but I get it. Now I get it, you know, and... And I don't want to show them that I'm just now getting it for the first time. So, I, you know, I, I start talking to them, like, and this, you know, like. <laughs> but um, that's what's helped me to, like, get the big book. Like, get it and love it and, and believe it. I believe every word in that book with every ounce of me, everything. I believe everything in that book. Um, I don't believe it helps just my alcoholism. I believe it helps me live my life. Um, it, it has all the answers, you know, all the answers. How to find God, how to be rid of resentment, you know, like how to have a conversation, how to communicate, how to help a newcomer. I mean, it's just those are the tools I need to live today. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to sponsor um, a lot of women, and and like I, it, every single time, I did the one, two, three tango with a lot of girls, and then eventually got to do a fourth step with somebody, and a fifth step, and it was awesome, you know, like, she's reading me her stuff, and a lot of the stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, me too, yeah, I did that too, some stuff I was like, whoa, I didn't do that, but that's okay, because I did this, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I saw this girl come in, she came out of treatment, she was crazy, and broken, and I have seen, she's like a butterfly. I mean, she is literally just completely, I've seen her relationships with people change. I've seen her relationship with herself change. Um, I, I love this girl. I love this girl. Um, I've seen her go to school and graduate with honors. The only one in her class to do that. I've seen her just become what Alcoholics Anonymous makes us, and that's, people that can function in society and do really well and and not have to drink, you know? And um, and I've gotten to, to experience some things with her that that I think a lot of us would have drank over, you know? And um, and that's just been a huge miracle. Um, I've done, you know, a couple couple more fifth steps since then and, and every time it, it is it's it is truly amazing to sit down with somebody and have them tell you everything to be that person that somebody is going to trust with everything you know and um when they call me and then they ask me something and I don't know I can tell them I don't know you know I I can tell them I don't know and I gotta call Brenda you know Brenda's my sponsor and um and that's a good thing because I don't know it all. But when I don't know it all, that means that I'm still teachable and I still will learn, you know. And uh, service has also been a huge part of my sobriety. As soon as I came in, and I think it's really what, what stuck me here, what, what kept me here in the beginning was that 
Um, I was nominated and voted into, so I was basically shoved into the secretary's position um, at my home group, and it was nerve-wracking every time before I got up to do the secretary's report. I like thought I was going to collapse while I was up there, and like it was just awful. And um, I did that for six months, and then um, I started chairing a women's meeting, and um, eventually I got my PV, and I, I take meetings to jail every Tuesday. Um, <clears throat> I've gotten involved with Paw when we had it here two years ago. Um, I've been to New Orleans for Ikipaw. Um I've been to a couple Ficky Paws. These are just, I mean, like, places to go and recharge your AA batteries, you know, because I know that coming here sometimes gets monotonous. You go to the same meetings, you hear the same things, and I've been told that if you go to a meeting and you don't like what the meeting has, bring to the meeting what you want to hear at the meeting, you know. So either that or get the hell out of the meeting and go to some, some other meeting, you know. And so... Um, you know, I just have, I've really gotten to experience a lot of AA and, and I, I mean, there was a point that probably just around a year, I was tired going to my home group and, you know, I called my sponsor and I said, I just don't, I don't feel like going there, you know? And she said, Annie, um, do you believe that your home group saved your life or helped to save your life? And I said, yes. And she said, it's not about you anymore. She said, you go to your home group to sit down for the next young woman that walks in the door and thinks that she can't put two days together. Show people it works. Show people how to sit in a meeting and not talk and not text on your cell phone and look at the speaker when they talk. You know, I love that you guys say try to stay seated during the meeting because it's just I've heard. Johnny Harris is a, is a speaker. He's been sober 40-something, maybe almost 50 years now. And I heard him say one time on a speaker CD that, um, you know, he would ask his sponsor, why can't I go to the bathroom during the meeting? I really got to go. I really got to go. And his sponsor said, do you remember that one thing that you heard in AA meeting that you went, oh, and it made the total difference in your day, in your life, in your sobriety? And he said, yeah. He goes, what if somebody would have gotten up and tripped over you to go to the bathroom when that was being said? You might have missed it. And so when my girls say, why can't I go to the bathroom? Why can't I go to the bathroom? You know, I'm like, just sit. You'll be all right. You've got to pee your pants, pee your pants. Go before the meeting. You'll learn next time, right? But, um, you know, that's just the stuff that we don't know when we get here. I didn't know it when I got here. Somebody had to tell me that stuff, you know. You don't, I don't talk in meetings. I don't pick up my cell phone during a meeting. I don't text my friends during a meeting, you know. Stuff I did not know. And these are like life rules. It's not just in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't do it while I'm sitting in a sales meeting at work either, you know. But, um, you know, it's, it's just that now I go to my home group to give back. I go there. My meeting starts at 730. I show up at 6 o'clock. I set up the chairs. I set up the, pull the tables down. And I stand there and I wait. And I wait for that new girl to come. You know, just to be the first one that can shake your hand and be like, welcome. It's okay. It's going to be a little overwhelming, but you can sit right here, you know. Um, and, and I go to <clears throat> other meetings to do the same thing. You know, there's, and, and the girls that I sponsor watch that and they go, oh, okay, that's what I do. And I swear to you, that's why, those, that's what makes me happy today. That's what lets me know that I can go to sleep at night, is that I, I did the best I could today, you know. Um, <clears throat> doesn't mean that I'm not, you know, I'm definitely not perfect. I still have defects that, that they're, they're defects. And, um, you know, they, they hinder me sometimes. But um, when the pain gets great enough, I do an inventory, you know, and I call my sponsor. And I sit down and I say, this is, this is what it is. What is it, you know? And uh, the really funny thing is that, like, this past year has been such, <laughs> such a journey. Um, I'm getting ready to, I, I've been, 
I met somebody in AA, as we all do, I think, and um, and he has been one of one of the greatest gifts in my sobriety. There's been a lot of great gifts, but he's he's one of them. Um, he like does AA and he keeps it first, and, and so I do AA and I keep it first, and and we both believe that if we do that, we and we we put God's will in first, then we might just make it, and if we don't, we'll be okay. You know, but we have an awesome relationship. I'm learning how to communicate, how to talk to people. Um, you know, I'm learning how to uh, listen to that voice inside me when something's not right or something doesn't feel right. And um, it's just been really awesome to have to have that kind of relationship. I never had that kind of relationship. I I would just you know, like, walk all over you and then let you walk all over me until I'd had enough, and then I'd be like, okay, leave. Don't ever talk to me again. They'd be like, what? I don't understand. Now I'm learning how to tell people, and and people are learning how to tell me. And um, so we get to have a relationship as long as we keep AA first. So, um, you know, we do that. And and like I said, finances have been, they are like my biggest problem. And I talk to God about this all the time. And I, I truly believe that everything's always going to be okay, but sometimes I just, God has all the money, and I want him to give it to me now, and um, and that just doesn't happen, so I actually, I decided at the end of last year, um, I was offered this position for um, a company that made it so that I don't get a paycheck unless I sell something, and for whatever reason, I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do, so I've I started with them in December, and it has been the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. <laughs> but um, I think it's even harder than getting sober. But I, I've just stuck with it and put it in God's hands, and the doors keep swinging open. Not always when I want them to swing open, but they keep swinging open. And for whatever reason, it doesn't make sense. Like mathematically, it doesn't make sense why I've been able to pay my bills from December of last year to September 25th of 2008. But God has always taken care of me. I can't explain this to you. It just works like that. And I put my heart and my soul and my blood and my sweat and my tears into AA, and I do the same for my job, and I get results, you know, directly proportional to the work that I put in. And um, so, like I said, finances have been so... And... So God thought it would be funny if he made me the treasurer of, like, three committees so that I would hold on to, like, all the money, and I don't have any of my own. So, uh, that you know, that's the other stuff that I do besides going to jails and um, holding a women's meeting, and um, I, I am the treasurer for my home group. I'm the treasurer for the Women's Perspective Committee or conference in November. I'm the treasurer for the There's the Solution conference that's in October. Like, I have all this money, and it's not mine, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's funny how, how these things work. And um, I I enjoy my life. Like, as much as I talk about, you know, there's definitely ups and downs, and there's days that I don't feel real good, I can I can usually get to the bottom of that and, and figure out what it is I need to tweak. And sometimes it's not something I need to do. Sometimes I'm doing Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.